0: So one of the big things I've done with my team is empower them. You know, if you've got people that um, are willing and able and technically savvy, you should allow them to help you with reports and communication and, and let them own that decision. If they make their own decision, not beat them down, but really try to utilize the people around you that are capable and that will help you.
1: it's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket swine it podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Alonco's prevacent a new perspective visit prevacentpers.us to learn more nutriquest Experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. A B Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. ZinPro, Essential Trace Minerals, Exceptional Performance. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high quality, safe, and sustainable way.
2: Welcome to the Swine It podcast show. My name is Marcia Gonçalves, your host for today's episode.
0: You know, vaccines have been negative before in herbs. Um, we've seen uh, the stress of vaccination you know, an uncontrolled immune response, um, so high fevers, you know, vaccine reactions, I guess for lack of a better term, that, you know, cause animals to go off feed or miscarry, you know, if they're sows or, you know, pigs to become lethargic and, and miss meals, you know, that's, that's a negative impact of the vaccine, even though we don't report it. As a typical vaccine reaction, we think of vaccine reactions as swellings or death, um, more extremes, right? right. Uh, but even just the things we appreciate normally, um, you know, can be hard on the animal. And I think that's true of people. So I don't know. I, I'm always cautious of the unintended consequences of something that sounds, um, you know, something new.
2: Right. That, yeah, that's a great point.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we see in our herds that there's enough um, variation in, you know, every animal's different. And these, these mega herds, right, we've got, we've got four 13,000 head sow farms here. And so you've got 13 individual sows that may respond differently to that vaccine. And, um, you know, they've all had a little bit different experience through their acclimation process, um, you know it's a multi-paras farm so age season all all impact that so sometimes we're so used to managing the population that uh, I have a visitor
2: oh there you go I have a 1 year old wow yeah oh, just wow.
0: turned 1 this week
2: congratulations
0: yeah wow. it's it's a thrill i hear you talk about your 5 month old and yeah uh, Makes me long for those days. They they change so quickly. Oh my gosh.
2: Yes. Hey, hey, hey. Here, say hi. Hello. How are you? Hi.
0: <laughs> say hi to the world.
2: <laughs>
0: say hi to <laughs> Dr. Marcio. Yeah. You want to be a slide of that? My <laughs> <a> nutritionist?
2: Maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. Nice. Yeah, we're.
2: Strong teeth.
0: Yeah, teeth. You guys stick your tongue out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's been a fun little journey in life. Makes you uh, sit back and reevaluate what's yeah. important.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah, I've been
0: very career focused, um, and for all these, you know, it's I've been working in the industry now for eleven years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Graduating in two thousand nine, started at Smithfield in twenty ten it was still Murphy Brown
2: mm-hmm.
0: here in 2013 and have been here and you know having him has really made me think about what's important in life and uh slow down a little bit Yes. so that's good yes yeah, yeah.
2: and I think uh, you know when COVID hit that was actually a good thing you know when it comes to to, to babies
0: definitely for me um a little more um strategic farm visits. We've tried to use a lot more telemedicine since COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, already the life of a swine pet is never in the office. So um, I've been able to spend a little bit more time at home enjoying him, but also, um, you know, doing a lot of telemedicine visits, you know, it's still the same phone calls and emails, yeah. um, but being more strategic with my time.
2: Yeah. What was your experience with telemedicine and, and, and how were you able to use it?
0: Oh, man. Well, so we've got, um, you know, we're, we've got people using iPhones. Pretty much everybody has a smartphone these days. And, mm-hmm. you know, people call and they say, well, I've got a scour or I've got, a, you know, this room that's got a, you know, high level of cough. Mm-hmm. And so we say, well, send us some videos, send me a picture. A lot of, We get a lot of necropsy pictures. You know, even when people were just using flip phones, we got a lot of necropsy pictures, mm-hmm. and now we're getting more video. And we've we've been doing that too with our welfare visits. We we video those. They're not in real time; um, they're asynchronous. The videos we use here are all asynchronous, actually, because mm-hmm. um, connection is so poor.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> being in a very rural area, sometimes we don't have phone service, much less. Uh, you know, enough Wi-Fi signal or enough uh, bandwidth to be able to send a video. And so they'll send it to us via text or through uploads on the computer. And, um, you know, a lot of just normal health visits, just, hey, I'm going here, you know, look at these pigs. And um, then, like I said, you know, we get some of the health visits
2: Mm -hmm.
0: from the very outlying areas. So yeah, I mean we we've we would like to see it become very, you know more accepted in the regulat- you know by the regulatory people um, mm. that 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 is an acceptable way to evaluate pigs right. because you know my time's very valuable yeah company um, and so the less I have to be doing you know standard health visits and can focus on you know the most important you know, health problems or following up on, you know, programmatic changes that we've made in the company, you know, at the system level that um, need to be implemented correctly. Uh, So allowing me time to do that and the other veterinarians here to do that instead of going out and just doing, you know, the standard regulatory visit um, would be (laughs) great. Um, I know that folks don't want to hear that because, you know, a lot of people's practice is based on, you know, Mm -hmm. papers and doing regulatory visits, but it is, I don't see us being efficient as an industry. It's Mm -hmm. a security issue for us. The amount of downtime we have to have Um, companies now are very spread out. Um, You know, so just trying to get the, Veterinary manpower to do the the regulatory visits without you know just burning out a veterinarian driving up and down the road and spending time away from your family. Um, we've got to be more attuned to that work life balance. I think that. Yeah. I, I was that person. I, you know, I'd start at seven in the morning and work till ten o'clock at night. Um, early on in my career, and you can't do that forever. And I think more you're going to see more and more. Uh, young practitioners not want to do that because they, they are more in tune to that work-life balance, I think, than some of our, you know, the yeah. previous generations, which is good for them. And so I think they'll force that, that new way or that new, those new priorities in life um, will force us to change, I think, a lot of the way we look at um, how we do medicine. And I think it'll, it, it's going to have to go into the regulatory you know, all the way to those regulatory visits as well. Um, And, you know, if we ever got ASF here, that's, you know, we were trying to get permits to move pigs. There's only three of us for, you know, our system that has over 270,000 sows just here that we're responsible for. Um, There just aren't even enough accredited, you know, type two accredited veterinarians to do, to evaluate all those pigs. And it's not, and like I said before, it's not biosecure.
2: Well, yeah, that makes so sense. I guess. we you- our
0: problem though is that we, you know, our access to care, and and for us, it's that limitation of having the the good um, cell signal bandwidth to be able to, um, you know, internet signal to be able to get those videos to us is is difficult. And the technology, you know, smartphones um, are still fairly pricey, so. Um, in our company, it goes through the the management level folks to the mm-hmm. level, but our farm managers still use flip phones. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're going to see, see that a lot of, a lot of places that still the technology is a little pricey to put in everyone's hands.
2: Interesting. I mean,
0: I, I think those are the two access to care issues that we're going to have to overcome.
2: Right. Um, you mentioned, mentioned before being asynchronous, right? And I love a WhatsApp audio because of that, right? You can communicate with folks almost like if it was a phone call, but in your own time.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it and again, it goes back to that promoting a work-life balance for practitioners, um, you know, swine as a specialty. Um, we're, I think we're going to be flat. I don't think we're going to get more veterinarians. I think we'll be lucky to replace ourselves. Mm-hmm. Keeping keeping people in production, I'm seeing that being harder and harder. I see a lot of my colleagues moving to pharma, and they're very happy with that that approach and and their their new career in pharma. And so, keeping good, experienced production vets in the field is is really important. And um, I think that's going to be some of the stuff we have to focus on beyond just the compensation is the lifestyle. We already live in rural areas. um, So sometimes that makes access to things that we had in that school or, you know, in other times in our life, um, difficult. And um, you know, uh, Dr. Pullman talked about sharpening the saw. That's Mm -hmm. we've got to be able to let people have the time to uh, decompress and come back uh, rested uh, their mind um, they're sharper that way hence sharpen this off from uh, the seven habits
2: I love it yeah yeah, I think
0: that's that's really important and I think we've got a we've got really smart up-and-coming veterinary students and and young vets I mean I'm still young um, but I, you know, the ones I've mentored, I'm so excited to see what they're doing and the impacts they're making. Um, I don't want to burn them out. Um, you know, I've, I've seen that happen, and, and we don't need to lose any more really good, qualified, capable people from the swine industry, um, from the practitioner field specifically. But that'll be important. Uh, you know, I push, we've, we've talked about that a lot in our organization about how you maintain, um, you know, good talent. Uh, throughout the organization, not just on the technical field, but in our operations side as well.
2: Right. You know, when I think of production system, when I was working in Brazil uh, in production, and also um, the first thing that comes to mind in a production system is putting fires out, right? And, and, and that's exactly like you are saying, right? Probably make less money than, than the pharma folks sometimes, and, and uh, the, there's going to things you have to change in, in the midterm
0: the salary, the double salary survey just came out. And I think that we have to be concerned about a few things we saw in that data, mm-hmm. you know, on the, on the, you know, for system, uh, practitioners that are in big systems, uh, women, um, there's some disturbing things in there, um, in that data. So, or things that disturb me, so uh, you know I've certainly brought them up to our organization, and I think um, that's why we do that. That survey is uh, to make sure we stay competitive because we got to attract bright people. Um, and uh, like I said, compensation is part of it, right. uh, you know, the typical monetary compensation, but we also have to consider all the other, um, I don't know if you want to call them soft benefits, mm-hmm. you know or whatever, but, uh, you know, understanding, you know, what motivates people, uh, the, you know, developing the loyalty, um, so being, I think being understanding, uh, I certainly have been, become more understanding since I've been a mom,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, your patients, uh, you didn't, you, you, uh, you acquire patience you didn't know you had, And so, and I think that's come out in the way I manage my people and try to be understanding of their family lives and um, really promote that team atmosphere where we feel like we can support each other. Um, That's, that's super important. People like to, I think people who gravitate to big organizations like I'm in and have worked in since I've been out of vet school. uh, We like the team atmosphere. And so really promoting that healthy team environment, I think is important. Uh, You know, um, and that'll help keep people. I've, I've certainly experienced that. Um, is if we're promoting, uh, I think we have, we continue to challenge them, offer, you know, them ways to advance themselves, even if it's not with, um, more money or a position change, you know, just offering them new opportunities, new challenges. i uh, I certainly seen within my veterinary team, people really blossom and, um, you know, you get to see, some things. I think people get to challenge themselves and and gain confidence because now they're doing things they didn't think
1: they could do. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Genesis. Genesis is the largest independent producer of high health registered purebred swine in the globe, having over 80% of all registered purebred breeding stock in Canada. The Genesis genetic program uses genomic selection strategies focused on productivity, faster growth, efficiency, high yield, and meat quality. To know more, go to genesis.com. G-E-N-E-S-U-S dot com.
2: I love it. And it's funny because we started talking here and uh, the conversation was so good that I started recording and yes, I'm, yeah. you know, I never asked you to introduce yourself. So for those that don't know you, Dr. Robbins, uh, if you can share your career so far.
0: Yeah. So I kind of mentioned a few steps along the way. So um, I'm a graduate of North Carolina State University, mm-hmm. undergraduate, veterinary school. I, am, I did my PhD there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Maria Correa and Glenn Allman. Um, and so had a great mentorship uh, throughout the early part of my career. I actually started out in undergrad in poultry science okay. and was exposed to um, really the integrated business structure. And so um, when I had the opportunity to do some swine research and, and really uh, get involved in the field that way, um, uh, Dr. Morgan Morrow and uh, Dr. Juana uh helped me get started in my PhD. Um, you know, started out with doing some uh, antimicrobial resistance work on salmonella, uh, so, and looking at antimicrobial alternatives in, uh, for use in swine production. So, very exciting. Uh, continued to develop that into a thematic thesis and finished that in 2016. So um, I joined the um, the team at Murphy Brown there in North Carolina out of the Kenansville office in 2010. Uh, and then I came out here to Seaboard in 2013. So it's taken me a little bit to finish, It took me a little while to finish on my PhD, uh, had a lot of supportive people on my committee, very understanding people. Because, you know, in, in 2013, you know, the swine industry experienced something we never uh, had faced before, at least, you know, in, in a, I think modern, you know, a lot of our recent careers is, you know, a, a epidemic, which was PED. Um, and that really, uh, you know, I basically spent three years just focusing on that disease and trying to figure out how do you manage a large system you know, do you, ma- do you manage the, the disease in the system? So do you just learn to live with it? Do you eradicate it? Um, you know, do you do a hybrid because you have different regions? Um, it's it, That took a lot of time. So <laughs> I probably could have done a PhD just on that. Wow. Um, what I what was does able it take? to finish up in 2016. And so that was exciting and have stayed on here and grown my Uh, veterinary team here. We have got nine direct reports and a a team, total team of uh, 13 people. And so that's, that's very exciting to be able to, um, you know, work with those people. And and like I said, developing them has been really, really fun learning that leadership aspect of of veterinary medicine. Um, We do a lot of research. So that, you know, that's complements my uh, the PhD and the, the research background. So that's been fun. Um, and, you know, hey, if you, as a veterinarian, you kind of got into this for the bugs and drugs part. So with that too.
2: <laughs> I love it. Um, I was going to ask you, so what did you find on PD when it comes to should you live with it or not by region? What, what is your conclusion so far?
0: So far for, in our experience, um, you know, when you have, a tremendous amount of epidemiologic links, even between your uh, regions that may be geographically distant, but you share a link like um, a a packing plant. We have determined that we're gonna continue to um, acclimate our system for PED because we don't think we can sustain um, an outbreak like we experienced in 2010. And, you know, if you look at the, the shrimp data, um, we've done a good job. Uh, even the systems that have chosen, or you know, producers as well, that have chosen to continue to acclimate gilts, you continue to see that the, every year the, um, that curve, that epidemic curve continues um, to go down uh, even in, during the, the PED season. So I don't think that's been negative for the industry. Obviously, no one wants to live with diseases. You know, that's never our goal, but we have seen um, outbreaks that we can't explain. And we hear of those in high health systems, outbreaks of um, PED or other enteric coronaviruses that um, they shouldn't really happen in a high health system right and so if if they are vulnerable then we consider ourselves even more vulnerable because we're a commercial system um and so we have decided to continue to acclimate our, our guilt since our sow herds acclimated and uh we'll continue to to re-evaluate that every year um we um my uh Young uh, colleague here at uh, Seaboard, Donna Dravis, presented at the Layman on a big effort we did over the past year and a half to clean up our growing pig herd, specifically our finishers. We had a lot of endemic PED. We had a lot of clean sites, but we just kind of did this lumping because it was easier to manage the system and manage everybody's expectations when we lumped it all together. So this is the first winter that we're going into that we're We've continued to monitor those sites and we haven't found any PED in our growing pigs. Um, our, we continue to monitor our plant. We find it to be free of those enteric coronas. So I hope I haven't jinxed us um, since it's still early in the, in the season, in that, you know, the winter season. Um, but we, we think that we have put focus on areas, you know, controlling the things that we can control. And hope, with the hope that we get to a place where we can eradicate, you know, PED from a system, we haven't really eradicated diseases from the U.S. swine herd in a long time. I mean, the mm-hmm. last one was pseudorabies. That was the success of the industry, and we had really great vaccines that could differentiate between um, field exposure, you know, wild-type virus exposure, and a and a vaccine exposure, and Um, we had the whole industry, you know, with the same goal in mind, and it was just a disease that people decided they couldn't live with anymore. But that took that effort, I think went on over the course of, I know well over 20 years. So, you know, we just got PED in this country in 2013. Um, and so we're only, you know, just over seven years into that. Um, I think giving people time to, Figure out, you know, we're continuing to learn about uh, our biosecurity and what's important is, you know, make biosecure and, and contain. And I, I think we've, we're have we just on the cusp of, you know, knowing enough to feel like we, I think we can go into eradication mode. So, um, you know, I think it's on the horizon for the industry, but, you know, it's it's hard to do something like that you know, just at a the drop of a hat, you know, it's, it. I was told early on in my career that um, systems are like battleships. They're not speedboats. Mm-hmm. and so the, the changes come slowly and they have to be very intentional. Your systems are, we've got a lot of moving parts, a lot of cogs in the wheel that we all have to get moving in the right direction. And, you know, there's a cost that comes with um, disease management, and we're all very familiar with that. And um, there, and there's a value judgment as well. Um, and so um, you kind of get to the point where, like with pseudo rabies, um, I read that basically the industry just got fed up with it. So I think we'll we'll see the same thing with PED. I, I hope the same thing with PERS. We've got some great technology out there. Um, sadly, we're not implementing it in the U.S. And I. That's kind of a bummer as a, as a veterinarian um, because I don't like to see sick pigs and PERS makes pigs really sick. Right. So, right. you know, PED the same. Um, you know, I think the gene editing is a great technology. I think, you know, uh, they've already shown it's, they've been able to gene edit pigs to be resistant to PERS and TGE. I would think PED is right on the, on the horizon, but if we can't utilize that technology you know, sadly, it'll just be a great academic report for, the, at least in the U.S. We'll see if other countries adopt it. And maybe once it's adopted elsewhere, we'll, you know, we won't be early adopters, it appears, in the
2: U.S. Do you think Europe is going to adopt adopt before?
0: I don't know. I can't say I'm, I'm, I probably haven't been in tune to that. You know, I, I hear that China is making big moves to mm-hmm. try that. Um, you know technology into their herds but you know it's not going to be a panacea just like we saw filtering farms or installing trailer bakers was going to be the you know then it was going to be the next best thing since sliced bread but then people got you know still got diseases you know, they still got PERS they still got PED yet yeah, happened at a lower rate um, of infection but it still happens so you know, I think that's the other thing we have to manage people's expectations. Like, Just because we get this technology doesn't mean we throw all the other you know, progress we've made on biosecurity um, and all that effort we've put in uh, to gathering data and, and managing risk um, and underst- trying to understand how we move diseases around. That doesn't mean we stop doing that. It'd just be a great technology because it'd be one less thing I have to go out and you know face every day (laughs) selfishly as a practitioner you know hers has just been terrible for our industry and you know we're going on 30 years of not a whole lot of progress and you know the we kind of have the vaccines we have we kind of have the biosecurity you know implement uh biosecurity technologies we have but not a lot of other uh, gene editing pig was the biggest you know wasn't just amazing but you know that's we're just kind of stuck in that regulatory conundrum right now um but as a practitioner you know you hate seeing sick pigs any veterinarian anybody in the whole industry nobody wants their pigs to be sick and um so that i think that's that's been a frustration for the industry is you know hey we're very worried about our animals welfare having sick pigs is you know bad for welfare um this is a technology that would improve our, you know, the health, the total um, productivity of a pig, and we're not able to use it. So, bummer. But, you know, yeah. it, it, again, I said earlier, things don't happen fast. It's a, it's a, the government is the same, right? It's a battleship on a speedboat. So, you know, maybe we'll see some um, progress. Here in the next few years as as people get more comfortable with the technology but i assume that that's that's really where the the, where people are just they're not you know with the with the government being responsible for you know determining do we do we accept that risk um, you know to put that those pigs into the food supply and you know um, people look for no risk nobody wants to be responsible for you know if something negative happens Um, I think there's good data to show there's not going to be that those pigs aren't fundamentally different, except in a, you know, they just don't have the receptor for the PERS virus anymore. How great is that? Um, But, you know, um, we'll see. Hopefully we'll see some improvements. I mean, like I said, it's just going to be slow. I assume that's how it's going to be in Europe that the adoption will be slow. Um, Probably once people you know, do adopt it, then we'll probably see a pretty rapid, um, you know, increase in in the utilization of technologies. But I don't know, you know, the immunocastration, I I just recently listened to the the interview you did with Dr. Pullman and, you know, immunocastration has been a little bit of the same thing, right? It's been, that technology has been around for a while. Uh, It's been very successful and still has, you know, kind of been a regional adoption, not a, not a widespread industry adoption. So I don't know. we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I'm disappointed to see that we value technology and progress and innovation in all aspects of our lives, except agriculture. It seems that, you know, our consumers fear it. Um, you know, the, the bigger farms, the, the, you know, the gene edited pig, the, you know, the immunocastration, you know, just all the diva vaccines. I mean, they're, they're very, it seems that they're very suspicious of when we want to apply these technologies. Um, But in every other aspect of their lives, they're thrilled. Mm -hmm. Phone was amazing. Everybody had to have one. Everybody still has to line up and try to get the newest iPhone.
2: It's like if a socialist, a extreme socialist was holding an iPhone. It's a literal count. count yeah, every
0: you know, um, don't queue up for for a lot of the, you know, the newest uh PlayStations, but when it comes to the food applying, you know, the food supply uh utilizing new and cutting edge technologies, we're very suspicious of that as a um as a consuming public so you know we we always talk about educating the public about how we raise food and we're just going to have to continue to be as transparent as
2: possible right sometimes it feels that it's a little paradoxal right the the push for antibiotic reduction is is against the welfare push because yeah. if you go completely uh, free uh, or raised without antibiotics it's right and then the whole thing with uh, people not understanding the difference between uh, transgenic and genetic and, and things like that. You know? Yep.
0: Yep. Genetic modified. Um, you know, I, yes, it is very paradoxical. Um, we've certainly, I tried to point that out in, you know, every group that writes policy on those things, um, that we've, we've got to do something um, to improve the that perception, that transparency, and I know it's going to be again, it's just going to be slow uptake. I think.
2: Interesting. Now let's transition to your expertise uh, with feedback and oral controlled exposure. I think most people are familiar, at least in the West, at least with the term feedback, right? Uh, but if you can also explain what feedback means for folks around the globe, then uh, maybe they call that something else. And then uh, oral controlled exposure as well.
0: Yeah, so feedback has traditionally been, you know, the utilization of a tissue homogenate, unique uh, to that specific herd to try to produce immunity uh, for a specific pathogen. Um, Most people think of feedback for rotavirus. Um, So that that may be an ongoing uh, feedback program to produce uh, immunity for the piglets Uh, Or, you know, to produce a cholesterol immunity that the piglets will have access to. So, that might be an ongoing feedback program. Some people may be familiar with feedback because they've utilized it in a disease um, elimination eradication program for things. You know, historically it was used for TGE. Um, In both those instances, it's because we don't have access to good vaccines. Um, And so, we're utilizing what's there on the farm uh, to produce immunity. Uh, whether it's to um, a new disease introduction, usually it's something like PD or TGE, maybe PERS when we use um, LVI serum, uh, not feedback, but still the same principle is involved. Uh, try to eliminate um, or eradicate or control a disease, a new disease to the farm and produce various farm specific immunity um, versus that ongoing you know, feedback that we usually think of for, you know, pre-FARA. You know, it really goes back to things, uh, you know, I was exposed to it for parvovirus. Before parvo vaccines were very common in the industry, that's, you know, people were using tissue feedback uh, to promote um, immunity to parvo in the sow herds. And then, you know, you can go all the way back for oral controlled exposure to probably the Kohler work on E. coli, um, where you would grow up, E. coli and, and feed and, and expose a group of pigs to that pro- to produce an immunity. Um, I think we've gotten a lot more, um, precise, uh, about how we apply feedback and oral controlled exposure, tissue, homogenate. you know, whenever you're utilizing a, a live organism, it, it's a concern, um, because you, you never want to harm the animals you're trying to help and so making sure that it's free of um, unintended pathogens is important Uh, so we do you know when we apply feedback we do a lot of testing of that material before we just you know give it to the whole herd Um, you know the those rotavirus homogenates uh, are tested every batch is done um, and tested for PERS and PED all our del all our um, coronavirus, enteric coronaviruses, um, circovirus, you know, any bacterial pathogens, because, you know, you, you don't want to, um, you know, you, you always will do no harm. Um, and so we're, and the goal there is to, you know, produce that colostral immunity, that IGA, um, in, you know, high levels of that in the milk, which will protect those piglets early on in life, um, before they can develop their own immunity. Um, then you know with your disease, you know elimination, eradication. You know the intent is get you know max out the immunity, um, and then so no, you don't have any animals that will continue to shed in a population. You know, kind of like this this COVID thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have you can do your low close homogenize, uh, where you promote the spread of the disease and try to reach that herd immunity, mm-hmm. or you can you know try to keep it quarantined. Uh, that's really hard in a farm. Uh, large farms intentionally or unintentionally may develop pockets. You know, you've heard, I'm sure people have heard about, you know, the pockets for PERS virus or, you know, where you think that maybe a, a group of animals never got exposed naturally. And that's, that's the reason. In, and then you see recrudescence of the disease. Uh, not because the immunity wasn't good in the other animals, but just that some animals never developed a protective immunity. And so that's, you know, why we would utilize feedback um, in that way. And I would say most feedback now is, I think of feedback historically was, hey, I'm going to just grab some pig tissue, maybe some placenta, maybe some, you know, uh, fallback pig tissue lungs maybe I was just gonna expose my guilt to calls and just you know let it happen naturally versus now I think we you know for almost all of the diseases you're using oral yes. I hear most people doing more of that oral controlled exposure where they they know how much of the virus or path you know bacteria whatever they're trying to promote the immunity to how much is in the sample uh, or the the specimen there Um, you know, uh, exposing the animals to, you know, making sure it's free of unintended pathogens. Um, I would say that we're getting a lot closer to science Mm. with that feedback rather than, you know, maybe just a little more of a a cowboy approach. Um, And again, we don't do it for diseases that we have good vaccines. Like, you don't see people feeding back now for things like parvo or irisculus because we have a great vaccine for that. We have uh, less than perfect PERS vaccines, um, and they they're they're okay in heterologous exposure, but that's one of the reasons people use serum on their farm is they want immunity to that specific strain. Um, we also have you know with with PED and the data's. Uh, pretty clear that you know it's a killed vaccine it's not going to promote the same um, protective immune you know it won't booster the immunity to pigs that haven't to the same degree that pigs that haven't previously seen the live virus and so if you want a you know better immune response you combine those two strategies Um, you know, rotavirus people are, you know, still trying, you know, we, we definitely toy with the, the um, sequivity RP vaccine, um, which is just a portion of the genetic code of the rotavirus, uh, specifically serotype C that, you know, they put in Vero cells and amplify. And it's just the portion of the viral genome that we vaccinate with. Again, though, if we see that, we if you don't give the live exposure first we don't get to see the same immune boosting um with the with the vaccine and so um yeah those are are some reasons that we will combine both technologies and and people are using uh various technologies because these the, the diseases that we're facing are pretty significant obviously and if um you know, we were talking about the density of the of pig herds. If you have a, a lot of pigs that do, if you have a cell farm that breaks with the disease and you have pigs that live, uh, they may still be shedding that disease, um, that virus or bacteria, and it, other farms may get infected. And, and that's bad for the, in, for the whole industry. It's not just bad for those pigs and their welfare. It's bad for the whole industry to continue to have uncontrolled disease breaks. And so I think that's why, you know, like I pointed out earlier in the, in the shimp data, you do see a a decline, even though you still have some, uh, folks still continuing to do oral controlled exposure with PED. We see a decline in those PED breaks every year. And I think that's a good thing for the industry.
2: Very cool. From a practical level, Uh, if you can share a little bit of the routine in the farm, right? How does that work? Submit, does the farm send that directly to the lab or not? Or how how does that all work?
0: Yeah. So, you know, and and there's pretty well described out in the literature, but you've got, um, you know, you'll probably, you'll use colostrum deprived pigs typically to amplify the virus, um, then take tissue from those pigs and send that off, you know, prepare it in such a way where, you know, you've got a a protocol that, you know, would dilute it to um, what you think is the, what you've experienced is the level that would produce an immune response Um, and send that off to the lab and just make sure, you know, you're hitting the the levels of uh, viral material in those samples that you desire and that it's free of things you don't want in there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. You know, we do the same thing with our uh, the mycoplasma homogenate, um, which is also a tissue homogenate uh, collected from lung samples, and do the same thing with that.
2: Okay, and then in that case, uh, how often is that sent? So, is it a, a sub sample is going to the lab, or everything is going to the lab?
0: Yeah, so it would just be a a sample per batch. So if you pull mm-hmm. more tissue samples together, you know, you take that pooled sample and, and send an aliquot, um, you know, a representative aliquot to the lab to, to get an idea of, uh, you know, what's in that, um, that homogenate. And, you know, with our PCR, I mean, we're doing everything PCR, but with our, you know, for the, for the viruses um, and many of the bacteria, you know, those, those are extremely sensitive Cause they're going to detect genetic material as well as, you know, g- genetic material from live or dead organisms. So it's extremely sensitive, you know, so we we know um, that we're free or at least we, you know, to the level of detection of the PCR test that we don't have uh, the risk of unintended pathogens in there. Mm-hmm.
2: Very cool. And then when you look at the different diseases like PED, virus, PERS, any comments on this success or efficacy for these different diseases?
0: Yeah. I mean, like I said before, you know, this, we do this in the absence of a, um, effective vaccine for those herds. I mean, we're doing it, it's herd specific, um, Again, because we have a herd that um, has a significant problem, and yeah, we do. We certainly have um, shown that we've seen a reduction in scour mortality when we're doing rotavirus um, exposure to Sal's Prefera, um, because again, we're promoting that colostral immunity and that, you know, milk that IgA immunity. Um, like I said before, you know, I kind of judge the the industry and our, our decline in PED outbreaks, you know, uh, has been a good thing with our, you know, with doing PED exposure. Um, you know, folks use ERS, LVI very routinely. Um, you know, the data is a little less clear there. Whether, you know, um, data from Dr. Linares would, would say maybe your time to stability is better with the vaccine, but you know specific herds, I mean, that was a you know, a, a trial, it was or an epidemiologic evaluation of what herds were doing. Um, you know, and all all purse breaks are different. I think that veterinarians are applying this, you know, with you know safety in mind um for specific you know herd herd specific um you know, it's not just a blanket through a system, uh, you know, of what the needs are of that particular farm and, and you know, the desire of, hey, are we trying to eradicate um, a virus or are we trying to just produce immunity to the virus and get back to stability, which is not going to, you know, negative or naive status. So you kind of you have to determine the, the success of those applications as what the original intent was. Um, and, and they're pretty herd-specific.
2: Very good. I love it. Let me ask you about, as we get closer here to, to the end, Dr. Robbins, let me ask you about uh, any insights for young veterinarians, any advice there?
0: Oh, well, um, go and, add, you know, when you're on your internships, externships, uh, spend as much time in the field as you can with whatever practitioner will take you. Uh, I think that's the wonderful thing about swine vets. We like to mentor students, because we, no matter how old a swine vet is, they remember being a student. They'll tell Mm -hmm. stories from vet school, Um, you know, where they sat, they'll they'll remember a specific professor, they'll be like, oh yeah, you had so, you know, so-and-so, they'll, you know, because those things are just that common ground that we all have laid down it and kind of gets the conversation started. Right. We, we have those common um, experiences. So we love to mentor and we love to answer questions. And, you know, as you can see today, I, you know, we'll, will be an open book, but that sometime that will end once you get out and practice to some extent, because we, we can't be as open, you know, you can't come and do a ride along um, because you're for one, you're busy, mm-hmm. you know, for a real, you know, you're a big vet, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you have your own clients, Um, that network never goes away, but, you know, some of the, the, basically, uh, you know, open, open to answer any questions, you know, you don't even have time, some, you know, to spend asking those questions, so I think, you know, really enjoy those experiences, and, and not just the travel part of it, but, that interaction, build that network, um, learn as much as you can from the people in the field. Uh, so hopefully you don't make the same mistakes we have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you make this industry better. Um, but that's, that's what I got the most out of. I traveled as a vet student. I went to the Netherlands. Um, I traveled all over the U S had great mentors. Um, they know who they are. Uh, and continue to mentor me in life and, and, swine practice. So a great group of people um, to have, you know, when you're feeling down or feeling like, you know, you, you, you know, you don't want to go to work the next day because you can't see another, you know, sick pig or, you know, you don't Uh, they'll, they'll put it all in perspective, that network of people will put it in perspective for you, and, you know, your network can come from your colleagues, too, but, um, you know, your peers, uh, so, but they'll have similar experiences to you, so it's nice to have some people a little bit older, uh, you know, sometimes we like to tell stories, and, you know, how it used to be, but um, they'll be, you know, they'll, they'll put some perspective on that, and, You know, my network and mentors uh, that I've developed have been wonderful.
2: Very nice.
0: They've made my career enjoyable. And, you know, a lot of those people, they're not just my mentors, they're friends.
2: Right. One other thing, I remember being on a farm in Nebraska and Dr. Larry Coleman asked me, hey, you know, you're a swine nutritionist. What, I mean, you know, high, high paying salary. What?" do you do or your company does to leverage that to leverage your time so that story to ask you what do you do to leverage your time from the minimal thing email details on email type of management texting whatever anything else i i'm curious i love it's a narrative i love
0: me too um because i always want to be more efficient Mm -hmm. now that i have a you know a little guy Mm -hmm. you know i i just I don't want to spend as much time at work as I used to. It's not that I don't love it. It's just that I have other things in life that I love now. So one of the big things I've done with my team is empower them. You know, if you've got people that um, are willing and able and technically savvy, you should allow them to help you with reports and communication and, and let them own that decision and not, if they make their own decision, not beat them down. But really, try to utilize the people around you that are capable and that will help you. What you know now, if they're employee, they're your employees. I guess they kind of have to help you. But you know, a lot of times, there's that dotted line to other folks in your organization, you in your practice, um, and try and, and identify their skill set and and try to you know use them to do stuff that is is not specific to your expertise. So don't be a micromanager on, you know, well, the email had a misspelling, um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the big picture, right? Did it get the point across? Did they do the right thing? Did they request the right test? Um, did they get the right samples? And then your time can be spent looking at the diagnostic reports and looking at, you know, the production data and saying, wow, that that's farm has had a three-week increase in pre-wean mortality. I need to, you know, have we had any diagnostics recently? Let's look into that problem more. Or maybe we've got a a group of farms that's having, having issues, Um, you know, and, and that, you know, doing that, you know, sets you apart as a leader, uh, that ability. And that's, that's kind of that um, circle of influence. Uh, You will grow, um, just because people will see you uh, as capable, as an expert, um, in an area and they see that, uh, you don't get caught in maybe some of the, the, um, important, less important and urgent box all the time. Yeah. yeah. You
2: know,
0: Fine. they, they, yeah, cause I mean, we need to be working, you know, veterinarians cause <laughs> to your point, the, the highly technical people, um, are, paid by an organization to be working on the important and often not urgent, but important areas of the system to make it better. And I say, I always reference a system because that's my um, expertise, but you know, that's true in your practice. It's true in life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and, and people, the only thing is about being, if you're good at your job, people ask you to do more. (laughs)
2: <laughs> ex- you got to ex- sort
0: out, you know, what is, you know, you got to start saying no and deciding what's what's most important and worth your time. And that's where that whole, you know, urgent and important, you know, two by two table works out where you can, you know, kind of decide um, where you're spending most of your time.
2: Right. And I think, uh, I mean, for me, I know between 8 and 11 a.m. or so is where I like to get the, the, the important, not urgent and then eleven to two, I try to you know origin uh, sometimes I think we are busy just being busy and thinking we're pro- being productive and that's not productive right
0: it's not productive and i I like to read about you know how to build teams, how to improve my efficiency as a you know um, how to improve my leadership um, you know so I, I've been trying to read and and really think about um. You know how to be effective as a leader and effective in the, in a big organization too. That's the other thing. Um, it can be hard. You you might get your voice drowned out in a big organization. You can't take it personally because business isn't personal. Um, we're making decisions. Um, you know that need to be made. Uh, sometimes maybe your your opinion you might feel it gets overlooked it's, you know, it's just part of, it's part of business. Uh, I feel very lucky to, to have a, you know, group of people to work with on the operations team, um, that really allow me to be good at my job. You know, um, they really look to me as that expert in, in the health, the biosecurity. Um, and then, you know, they've seen, um, You know, they may ask me about other things, you know, management of teams or, you know, logistics and, and that's a huge compliment, right? Um, I I appreciate that. It's fun to get involved in that. But, you know, I try to work in my um, circle of influence and, you know, then as, as I do well there, I think you grow, you know, that'll just continue to grow.
2: I love it. Let me ask you one more and then we move into the three uh, questions that I ask every guest. The, the, the last question I have here is, um, w- is there one habit or thing that you do like every day um, that you've noticed that really helped improving our productivity?
0: Hmm. Well, I haven't been doing it every day recently, but I do a lot of yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to do something act. You got to do something active every day you know, right now take a lot of walks or runs with my son, you know, pushing him in the stroller and just to be able to, and, and without the cell phone, you know, I'm not carrying that with me, you know, just having that quiet time. Um, Cause that's my little daily sharpen the saw. Um, and it allows me to come back refreshed. And um, you know, I always end up thinking a lot of times I end up thinking about work or problems we're facing, um, when I'm out there, but I'm not inundated by the emails and the text messages. And so I can really kind of, I, I think I get some time to look at it with a, a fresh, uh, that problem or, or issue or, um, you know, maybe it's not even a problem. Maybe it's just something you've, you know, um, you know, something you've been asked to, to work on, um, that's where you just get a fresh look at it. And so I find that taking that time every day, regardless if it's, you know, even if it's just 15 minutes, it's still that personal time that you need to take in and, and don't feel bad if you're thinking about work, even sometimes when I'm, you know, if I'm meditating, I'm, you know, you can't help but your thoughts go back to work, but at least, you know, it's, it's not with that same, um, everything, you know, that fire, that sense of, Oh my God, I got to get it done. And, and I think you, you're more intentional uh, then in that thought process.
2: I love it. I try to do the same thing. Yeah. Intentional intention is a great word. Yes. I love it.
1: It is time to our famous tree. is Isn't it time your PERS protocol evolved? Elanco's Prevacent PERS is safe and effective offering at least 26 weeks of immunity duration against the respiratory form of PERS. As the first and only on-market USDA-licensed vaccine containing a contemporary Lineage 1 field strain, Prevacent is a contemporary solution. Connect with your veterinarian or an Elan co-representative to understand how Prevacent can fit your operation. Visit Prevacentprrs.us to learn more. Prevacent. It's time for a new perspective for knowledge and news from the global swine industry. Access our partner, thepigsite.com.
2: All right. So the first question here, Dr. Robbins, is uh, what's your favorite swine-related book?
0: Okay. Well, swine-related book. Uh, I guess you know, like most veterinarians, Diseases of Swine has always been the Bible. I mean, it mm-hmm. is go to. Um, the, you know, I've got a, you know, an epidemiology background. So the Cannon and Roe, Um, you know, it's this little thin book, uh, you know, but that, that was great early on in my career, understanding, you know, how do you come up with sampling protocols for, you know, different diseases, you know, now Dr. Rotolo and Dr. Zimmerman are blowing the, the (laughs) blowing that, you know, some of that thought process up, but that was a great, you know, that's, it's a great way to get started. And, you know, when people are like, what do you mean I have to take 30 samples? Well, this is, let me explain to you why. So that's a great reference book too. So those are my two, that one's really not a a swine specific, but it is instrumental to, you know, swine veterinary practice. Sampling is, you know, where you, and sample size calculations, you got to be an expert in that.
2: Right. Like not doing...
0: An... I'll, I'll take two on that one.
2: <laughs> nice. Yeah, like uh, not doing a one barn versus the other kind of deal. It's, oh, you know,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah, like you said, in experimental design or in, you know, sampling, we right. have to be, you know, thorough. We have to be intentional. Um, know what you're going to do with the results. Know where is the most likely you're going to, you know, either rule in or rule out a disease that's present. You know, like I said, there's great new information out there, but the Canon and Roebuck was,
2: you know,
0: always um, at my side early on in my career.
2: Super cool. Uh, and you're exactly right, right? Many people reply this is fine. I love it as well. But one question I, I have on that is what, if for the next edition, what is, what's in your wish list?
0: Oh, um,. <laughs> Well, it's pretty bad. I don't know if anybody can see it over or my shoulder. I still have the 8th uh, edition. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's kind of got their favorite edition.
2: Is that the purple one? Color? No,
0: it's the red one.
2: Red. It's oh, yeah, like sure. a wine No, color. it's the
0: ninth edition. Sorry, it's the ninth edition. The 8th edition was navy, and it had a great chapter on slaughter checks. And, Interesting. you know, obviously, we're, you know, the, our business here at Seaboard is you know, aligned with a packing plant. And it's still really important to be able to talk about, um, you know, lesions at slaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, um, I've done multiple slaughter checks, uh, not so many lately, but, you know, did salt off noses for atrophic rhinitis evaluations. Um, you know, those things are important to know and not something we talk about a lot in, in, uh, the veterinary curriculum. So that's something I don't know if it was in the tenth edition, but uh, if it if it was left out, we got to put it back in, um, and think about you know because that's ultimately why do we raise pigs for any other reason but to eat. I mean, right that's what our industry is about is producing pork so making sure we're providing safe food i think is critical and and the veterinarian is going to continue to be looked at as the expert in that field same thing goes for antimicrobial use and so i think we're going to have to expand that information on you know i think there has to be a a chapter on antimicrobial stewardship too Mm,
2: i love it how about a book outside of agriculture
0: well, I've referenced it a few times as the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey that that changed the way I looked at my interactions with my, you know, my peers um, and my team. And so trying to, you know, I, I know you said you got to reread it. I think I look back at parts of it um, all the time. You know, it's, it's not one of those things you read and then put back on the shelf. You got to apply it. and um, You know, your daily situations you know you're never going to be perfect you're never going to be perfect at applying it and i've failed but i strive to do better all the time and uh, that's some good tools in there to think about those interactions you have uh, and being effective with people personally and on your team
2: amazing now finally what uh you think sets uh part successful swine professionals from those that are not
0: so and and I think it's accountability. I think people being able to take the, the, you know, the praise as well as the, you know, the kick in the ass. Mm -hmm. We're in, you know, this, this is a business. Um, We make mistakes. You got to own those mistakes. Everyone I've owned, I have learned from more than I think if I, you know, tried to, um, blame someone else or try to, you know, try to blame it on something that I wasn't responsible for. I've learned so much more. And I think that that builds the trust in your organ, you know, you build trust in your organization when you take responsibility for, for mistakes. Um, And I, I think that um, veterinarians love to, we strive for perfection that's just in our nature, you know, look, you had to make great grades to get into vet school. It was so competitive. We had to be the best at everything, but in real life, you know, you know, you're not perfect and mistakes happen and owning those and and, um, I think has made me a a better person. It's not an easy road to hoe, but that's not true. And you know, that's true in any business, right? Um, You know, where uh, publicly traded businesses are, are, also very intense to work in, um, you know, big, you know, there's a lot on the line. Um, and I think, you know, and I never advise people to leave jobs because they're unhappy because I think that's, that's on them. Um, this, this environment, you know, that usually the environment you're trying to run from is, is true everywhere. Um, yeah. And I think so that. I think you gotta, that goes back to, you know, trying to improve yourself and everything around you will improve.
2: I love it. What's your insight on, I mentioned perfection, right? What's been, your, this is truly the last question. Yes. What's the, what is the, your insight on, uh, like you said, sometimes um, folks try to be too perfect. What's the balance between uh, perfection and getting it done? I, I, you know, exit. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I think the ethics play in, right? I mean, for one, that that comes back to, you know, we all took a veterinary oath. Um, and so we're going to do the right thing. Uh, right. You got to maintain your morals and your ethics when you make your decisions. Um, you do so with the best information you have. Yeah, but you do. You got you can't you can't have paralysis by analysis. You can't mm-hmm. be made of a mistake. We always say, I mean, you know, we reserve the right to get smarter. And the answers today may not be the the same answers I would give tomorrow, as you know, my breadth of information is concerned. So that's really important, I think. For you know, that's why having a good network is important. You know, staying up to date. Um, I probably read more of the industry emails now, um, and you know that there's so much emerging new information coming out. So trying to stay on top of that, but you know, being well-read or, you know, at the very least having a good network that's well-read that you can ask questions to. And that way you're always applying the best evidence you have to make your decisions, but you, you know, and you got to make a decision.
2: Amazing. Uh, It's been a joy talking to you, Dr. It's been great. Yeah.
0: I I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. I just love hearing the people you've talked to I've learned something from every single one of them and um, you've done a great job it's wonderful the service you are providing to the swine industry and um, keep thank it up you.
2: thank you yeah you, you make me emotional here
0: <laughs> well you know this is um, it's great because you 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 hit the nail on the head when people are riding to farms and you're, again, this goes back to taking in that new information, um, building your network. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out to the people that you hear on these podcasts, because I've never had somebody tell me, oh, go away. I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just so
0: this is a great way to expose people to new thoughts, new people. Um, so keep it up. I'm so impressed and, and I love it.
2: Thanks so much. Really, really, that means a lot to me and to us here at Swine. Thanks so much. Imagine if with a few key concepts you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact by bringing from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of swine nutrition on this seven-week long elite online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding. It's conducted by myself, Dr. Marcia Gonçalves, and my world-class invited speakers. Additionally, you enjoy an exclusive community to exchange ideas. Go now to www.eliteswinenutritionist.com